This call is now being recorded. I'm here with Sam Allen. Uh, why don't you tell me the name of your business? Uh, Blue Collar Basketball. Oh, cool. And you explained to me that's kind of like a Netflix for coaches. Well, um, Blue Collar Basketball, we're we're just, we're based here in Atlanta, um, and no, it's more player development for players, high school age, college, even down in middle school and youth, and and uh, we work with just a lot of players on on their basketball skills, and involved in another um, basketball business where we we're an online business called Key Five Coaching, and we we help coaches all over the world. Um, through kind of a membership-based site and help them develop their skills to help their players. So those are the two different things I'm involved with. That's amazing. It, it's absolutely amazing, this revolution that we're all living through, the, you know, the streaming stuff and the Internet stuff and all this. It's amazing. Um, it is. I So I don't think of basketball as a – I don't think of the Atlanta area as a basketball hotbed. Uh, I guess is that am I right in that or am I wrong in that? You said you don't think of it as a hotbed, or you do? I do not think of it as a basketball oh. hotbed. Am I am uh, I correct I, in that assessment or not? Um, yeah, it, it's I would say incorrect. It, it's a pretty big hotbed in, in terms of the entire country. Some would argue that. It produces some of the best basketball players in the country, um, but that's all debatable. And you know, probably people in California feel differently, and people in New York. But nonetheless, it you know, Atlanta has really exploded with the amount of talent that comes out of here year in year out. In terms of a high level talent that goes on to Division One and ultimately um, NBA players. So yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm wrong in that assessment. Um. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, what what type of player comes out of Atlanta? Basically, tends to come out of Atlanta. Um, type of player, you know, skilled, athletic. Um, yeah, skilled, athletic player. I mean, depends on what part of the city and and who it is in terms of some other things. You know, whether it's you know tough or. Or so, not. So, so, yeah, it just part, depends so, on, on the player and what type of development they've had. So parts of Atlanta are more known for different types of players? Is that what you're saying? Or like, Well, there's a lot of factors. I mean, it's just not what part, but who who are they involved with, you know, in, so in the it, basketball it, world. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No. Uh, well, what I was saying was, so it's like the centers come out of one part of town and power forwards come out of another or more? No, no, not at all. I mean, it's just all over the map. I mean, it's there's factors in terms of what high school program they come out of, what AAU program are they involved with, what um, trainers are they involved with. There's just, you know, you know, family situation. There's so many factors that go, as you know, into the development of, of people and environmental factors and who are in their circle, who's in their life, who's speaking life into them, and to, who's got a piece of their mind, their their ear, their heart. Um, and so, okay. yeah, just a variety of factors. It's not 
hey, you go over here to the east side of Atlanta, you're going to get this player and so on and so forth. It, it just it depends on the player. Uh, okay. Okay. Wow. Um, so has this basketball hot bedness, for lack of a better word, has it translated into um, better Hawks attendance, better Atlanta Hawks attendance, or not, or or whatever? <laughs> I, I, that I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if there's a correlation. Um, I think yeah. you know the Hawks attendance would be correlated to the product they put on the floor. They haven't been that good the last couple of years, so maybe things will turn around with their with Trey Young and some of their new stars. Yeah. So how did so how did you get involved in basketball uh, when you were growing up? Well, yeah, Ben, I just played uh, played as a young kid and started to fall in love with it around. Well, really, ever since I was a kid, I remember first game as a nine-year-old at the local YMCA and um, just loved it and continued to play it through middle school and high school. Had a dream to play in college and was fortunate to play four years of small college ball and then went from there into college coaching for almost 10 years. And when we were starting our family and I always had a dream to run my own basketball business and facility when I was getting my master's degree and working on a business plan um, was one of my dreams. So we decided to move back to Atlanta and, and start it and been doing that since 2011. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so basically tell me about some of the, can you talk about some of the ups and downs of being a college coach or not? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I can talk about it for sure. I mean, the ups are you're, you're getting to be a part of impacting kids' lives at a, at a pretty instrumental age in their lives, you know, between 18 and 22. And I wouldn't even actually limit it to 22. I've coached my first year coaching. I was 22 years old coaching. I had a couple of guys older than me on the team, uh, you know, 24, 25. So anyways, the point is you're, you're getting to impact you know, young men who are becoming men and make a pretty big tra- – or be a part of being a transformational impact on them and not just basketball but in their lives. So that's the rewarding part of it. Um, another rewarding is just competitiveness. I enjoy competing and, and you know, seeing if our team can go out and beat your team and how we prepare and how we practice and did we do what we're supposed to do and, so there's that element to college coaching that's a lot of fun. You know, I would say the downside can be, you know, potentially it can be the long hours required and the amount of time you spend recruiting and on the road and away from family and, you know, you're just married to your work in a lot of ways, you know, and, and you figure out as time goes on, some coaches figure this out, early and some it takes a long time some never figure it out at all and, and you know divorce and families break up because coaches do get too married to their job and then their their marriage or like I said their family you know suffer from it so there's got to be careful of that and that's um let's see that's one of the downsides another downside is the amount you know in today's game as a college coach when you're recruiting there's so many people involved in the recruiting aspect it can it can be 
frustrating, you know, 20 years ago, if a, if a college coach was going to recruit a kid, they're just going to talk to the high school coach and, you know, if parents were involved or a single parent, they're going to talk to them. And that's that, but now there's, there's a lot of different people involved. And so, you know, and people looking to attach on to, to higher level kids and they want, you know, something with that. So there's that downside to, to the game, but, uh, for the most part, a lot of, a lot of positives. Well, that's cool. Um, so I guess like what have, I mean, like all sports change, right? Like in terms of the quality of the product on the field or court. Um, and also there's just the evolution of any game itself. So what are some of the changes in basketball that you've seen? Just uh, from when, like yeah, when you were a fan to today. Well, uh, today's game, players are so much more skilled, not just, you know, the point guard or the shooting guard or, uh, you know, and we don't even use those terms much anymore, point guard, shooting guard. I mean, if you're a player, you're a player. You can play multiple spots, and the game's um, a more free-flowing game. It's less rigid. It's more of a fast pace. There's more, a lot more threes. Back, you know, when Michael Jordan played, let's say the 90. 96 finals or 91 finals one of those years you know they the, the Chicago Bulls shot like seven threes a game well Houston Rockets you know one of the teams that have had the top records over the last five years they shoot 45 50 threes a game I mean that's a pretty massive growth over a 20 25 year period so the amount of threes kids are kids are so much more skilled today the things that a 14 year old could do you know 14-year-olds weren't doing that 20 years ago, and and um, and so it's just a more skilled game, um, and yeah, with that, the, the game is just different in that way, and, and that's there's a lot of good things involved with that. There's there's some drawback to it as well. It's also more of an international game, correct? I mean, it's much more of an international game than it was 20 years ago. Oh yeah, I mean, you so look at the NBA level. drafts. Yeah, you look at the NBA drafts yeah. from 1990 and then 2000, 2010, the influx and success of some of the international players, and and you know the the stat I always share, Ben, is this. I don't I don't know what your your fandom or or acumen of basketball is, but take the '92 Dream Team. You know that okay. was with Jordan and Barkley, and you know some say the greatest Bird. team ever, right? Patrick Ewing, David oh. Robinson, all these guys, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. They won the Olympics, won the gold medal by an average of like 36 points a game. You know, guy, guys were signing autographs. They're getting their opponents wanted autographs after the game. That's in 1992. Well, 12 years later, in 2004. Not only did our NBA team that we put out there didn't win gold, they won the bronze or even finished fourth place. I'm slipping right now. But to go from winning by 36 a game to 12 years later, the rest of the world caught up quickly. And and, in large part, a lot of people would, would credit the Dream Team to creating an international fandom, an international um, interest. Um, in the game of basketball, and so these kids all over the world and Eastern Europe and Asia started playing because they were exposed to that dream team. So that 
no doubt about it when you say international game is, is influence. And a lot of ways, their model is better. I don't want to get too basketball geeky on you, but the international model, some would argue, is better than the American model and how we develop players. Why is it better? I mean, why do some people say it's better? Uh, because here in America, um, kids play a lot of games. They play a lot of AAU games, and there's less emphasis on development. There's not a universal uh, approach to developing players. If you're the big kid, if you're the six eight kid, you go down to that end and you work on post moves. And if you're the smaller player, you go work on shooting. Whereas an international model, uh, or a lot of international models, would develop the entire player um, inside and out. But America is starting to change some of that, and, and kids aren't getting pigeonholed in from a young age. You're the tall player. You stand in the middle of a 2-3 zone, and then you stand underneath, and you rebound, and that's all you do now. You see, yeah. you know, big kids shooting threes and stuff. So, Well, I thought you were going to talk about, like, like soccer, with uh, what the rest of the world calls football. Um, mm -hmm. They have, like, training academies. And, like, you hear about some of these people, some of these people on these soccer teams in Europe, they've been they've been around that team since they were five years old, some of these some of these people. And you're just like, oh, my God. And that's what I thought you were going to bring up. But, huh. No, the, the crossover models for other sports are always interesting to look at and compare to. And you have you have that in some international models, but um, yeah, but yeah, I mean it's it's just different. Yeah, it is. Um, so I guess there's no real way to edit to, I guess to make this transition gracefully. So I'm just gonna. Um, here we go. Um, so normally when I ask people, normally so I ask people. Um, how a series of questions about COVID. Uh, and normally my first question is, how did you first become aware of COVID? So I guess I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> how did you first become aware like of COVID? Like just aware of the virus and what was going on with it? Yeah, like just was it on Twitter or the news or Facebook, whatever? I mean, I don't remember the very moment of when I was like, oh, I mean, you know, like anybody else, um, how I found out about it was like the rest of the country, like, um, yeah, whether it was on social media, an article, or, you know, it's like, yeah. What I, I do remember, I do remember one Sunday morning reading an article, this was like obviously before it came to us and became an issue here, but reading about China and mm -hmm. Wuhan and, and just, you know, somebody, this, this article is pretty well written and, and they are basically projecting what has essentially happened here in America um, and what it could be done. Different, different models that projected severe yeah. and the worst case scenario to moderate to, to not, not at all of a risk. And so, It'd be yeah, interesting to go back. Aware. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I'm just saying, like, it'd be interesting to go back and look at that specific article and to see where we are on that specific article's track. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean to laugh, but Jesus. Um, 
So social media, the internet, reading an article, that's for you. Um, okay. Um, normally my next question is when did you think of it as a big deal? But I mean, it doesn't get any bigger deal for people when you have something. So if you want to, well, before, so when did you catch COVID-19 about? ish oh okay so my personal experience with it yeah i mean i mean it was well let me back up on the first part of your question like it got real for me when you know you know schools are getting canceled and uh my i've got three young kids myself and my wife works in the school system and so um yeah i mean when when we're on shutdown and we're you know um we're out we're not playing with neighbors and we're wearing masks to grocery stores and wiping down everything and wearing gloves and you know, in those early days you don't really know much about it. We're and then we're still learning a lot about this virus. Um mm-hmm. you know, it seems at least. And so yeah, and it got, you know, about a month ago, um, you know, we're we're recording here in early October, so this is like mid September, um that I, it was a Monday, I was driving, it was a Monday evening, I was driving home, and I just, all of a sudden, it was, it was weird, I was, you know, I was actually on, I was out, outdoor at a, excuse me, at an outdoor park, running a basketball session with one of our middle school teams, and I got in the car, and I was driving home, and I started feeling like it was weird. I could feel it in the moment. Like I started feeling achy. My neck, my head was getting heavy, and yeah. it was you know it just started happening in my drive home. And then I got home, and it just was it was it wasn't anything unbearable at first. But it, I could say, okay, something's not right here. So you know, we get home that night, and my wife and I are doing a. Um, you know, a Zoom call with our, uh, with our, for, with our church, with our small group. And so we're on there and I said, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs in our basement and just keep my distance, uh, from me while we do this. Just make sure, like, so taking some precaution. And then, you know, it was like an hour, hour and a half call and progressively it was getting worse, worse and ended up sleeping in the basement and staying away from the family and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you want me to get into like what, what happened over the next couple of weeks for me? I want you to get into whatever you want to get into. I would love it okay. if you would, but you just get into whatever you feel comfortable with, man. Bearing in mind yeah, that so, this is the internet and the internet's forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mind sharing. It's just my experience. Um, no, I want know, you to share. A lot of, yeah, a lot yeah. of friends and people have had different experiences and it hits in different ways. But for me, what I, and, and I've been dealing with it, you know, not dealing with it with, you know, in my business, like I said, I work with a lot of kids. And so a lot of our kids had gotten it. Some had had, you know, like maybe a day or two rough or, or fair, but they, they, the kids in my, again, in my experience didn't have strong symptoms and it didn't affect them much at all, but they had to follow, they followed protocols and quarantined and, you know, to, to keep others safe. So with mine, here's what happened. So I'm talking about this Monday night. Then 
Tuesday the next day, yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel really bad, and so I I go to a a um a rapid clinic, a drive up clinic near where I live here in Atlanta, and you know do the test, the the nose swab, you know, then you wait in the parking lot. The whole thing that I saw on Twitter that was crazy, like where they stick it up in your brain and they feel like it feels like you tickle your brain almost. Well, so I mine wasn't that bad. I mean, you definitely don't. I don't enjoy something going up my nose like that. But they didn't go real deep. Like I, I think I read where somebody like they like um, affected somebody's. They went so deep it affected their brain or something. I t- thought I saw an article or a headline like that. But mine wasn't that bad. I mean, again, I, I wouldn't volunteer to do it. But it, that part wasn't bad. So I got this test and then. And sure enough, you know, they get in the rapid test, you know, we've also heard things like, okay, well, our, our rapid tests, um, how accurate are they? And I think they've gotten more accurate. Again, and I'm speaking, I don't, I'm not one of these yeah. guys who's on the Internet spending hours a day studying this virus and studying, you know, the the testing of it. You know, I've done some of my own reading and research, but I just don't get get caught up personally that's my choice i don't i don't get caught up in diving in i've just got a lot going on with family and business and so i i, I try to live a fairly normal life um so ben i get the the rapid results so i'm positive confirms it and so i you know fortunate we have a basement with a bedroom and so you know i'm able to I quarantine down here and really that tuesday wednesday and and i'd say early morning thursday I had it, it was a tough 10 days. I would say the toughest days were those first couple days where the symptoms I had were full body aches, headaches, I had high fever, breaking out in sweats. I um, um, I started to lose my appetite, food tasted different. I lost 15 pounds over the course of a couple of weeks um, and um, exhaustion. Yeah, the exhaust. I was just extremely tired. I'm I'm typically someone who I sleep six to seven hours a night, and I I've got pretty good energy, and I I eat really healthy, and I I work out probably four or five times a week, and so I, I feel pretty good, and and usually have good energy, like I said. But this thing just wiped me out, and I um you know I was I would sleep for. Some nights, uh, ten, twelve hours, which I never do. Like I don't, I don't know the last time I last time I did that was in college, probably. And so, um, yeah, that's what. And so, I quarantined. I was I, the only time I would go um, and see my family. I'd go out. I'd go into the front yard, out the back, and and stand, you know, twenty, thirty feet from them, and have five minute conversations and. I, you know, they say you should get out and try to, like, walk a little bit. So I'd walk to the end of my street where we live and walk back, but then I would just feel bad and I'd have to go lay down and rest. And, you know, I tried to do some work, email and some some uh, Zoom calls while while I had it, but it was just challenging because of the headaches and the and the fever and just feeling awful. But after that first, let's call it 72 hours, Ben, I thought I was going to turn the corner. So that timeline again of Thursday, Friday, I would say the back end of Thursday and Friday that week 
I started to feel, okay, man, it was a lot better than what I was, I mean, I could barely even hold a phone conversation with my wife. I mean, it just, you know, you just, I don't, uh, somebody might get sick a lot. It's maybe they're used to it. I, I don't get sick much. And so, um, maybe I was just kind of, uh, you know, not very tough with it, but, but it got me. And then, I, but I started to think I was doing better. And then boom, Saturday, the weekend turned and took, went backwards. I started feeling worse. Um, and I, oh, the other thing I had, I had a really, I had a coughing and I've actually had a little bit of residual cough going since, I mean, I'm, I'm negative now, but, um, and so, yeah, and, and, uh, I would say I got that diagnosis on a Tuesday. I think it was like Thursday, the, about 10 days later, I was starting to feel better. And my wife had went and stayed with, with her folks for a few days just to get out. And, um, and they came back and I, I went and got a, another test and it came back negative. And so I was able to stay, you know, get back in, to the house with them and and see my family and then but it lingered some of the energy and just not I don't even know how to best describe it but the 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 um I didn't feel right you know I just didn't feel myself and I definitely it took me another week or so to get even my taste back because I I couldn't eat much and get you, just, you know, you felt like you're eating paper. I don't. I guess I've never eaten paper, so I don't know what it tastes like. But, um, but yeah, the appetite thing was an interesting they one. Say, so. so I've had to research uh, COVID um, for this podcast. They right. say that one of the things that happens to a lot of folks is like the your so your taste. Uh, the nerves that connect your taste buds to your brain can get interrupted. Um, that's what they say. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the science or the yeah. physiology behind it, but that makes sense. All right. Um, so, and they also, uh, and I'm, I'm on Twitter with all these doctors and nurses now, and, and they say that they don't really know what out of the woods is. Yet, you know, obviously you're out of the, you know, the, the tall woods, you know, the bad stuff, but they don't know what it is yet over the years. Um, but I'm glad you're doing okay now anyway. Um, yeah. have you, have you been checked for, uh, clotting factors and stuff like that? Uh, sorry, check for what did you say? Uh, blood clotting factors and things like that. I haven't been checked for that. Um, no, I have not. And I, I don't appear to have any, you know, uh, collateral issues as of right now. Right. I've been. Okay. Yeah. I've been a couple well, weeks. Let's okay. call it a couple of weeks, couple of weeks out of the woods. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. I really am. Cause I've, I've talked to people all over America that can tell me secondhand stories about friends or neighbors or people they know or just whatever. And I've heard some stories, <laughs> you know. I've heard yeah. some really terrifying stories. Um, okay. Um, but you're the actual, you're the first actual COVID patient I think I've talked to. 
about COVID per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, but you don't know how you got it exactly. Like, you don't know, like, I was here and I got it from there. Like, you don't know about that? Well, you don't. Yeah, no, the short answer is I don't know. I can say that 24 hours before kind of feeling the, the symptoms, I was in a gym working with, and we take precautions in terms of temperature checks and, um, and I'll wear a mask in the building. I don't wear it all the time and I'm not right up on kids and vice versa in terms of spacing. Um, but we're also playing basketball and so there is going to be, you know, so we, and again, in Atlanta, different parts of the country are doing different things. In Atlanta, as you're aware, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, living as if, you know, living a normal life, let's call it. So anyway, so there was the 24 hours before I was in a gym and and with three different groups of 20-plus kids. And so yeah. let's call it 65 to 75 kids over the course of four hours that I was in interaction with. There's a good chance I got it from one of them but you know well they, we don't know they, that we don't have uh they contact yeah. tracing everything i've read seems to say seems to say about eight days uh there's an eight day there's a 14 there's an eight to 14 day period everything i've read so in terms of maybe from I'm, the time you're exposed to it to, to actually showing the time, symptoms is that what you're saying time you ex- yeah yes sir everything yeah. i've read seems to say eight to 14 days. Um, but anyway, um, hmm. well, you're not going to be my normal coronavirus interview because I would have other questions for people that don't have it. But I guess one of the questions I ask everybody, and I get a lot of fascinating answers, what do you think the world's going to be different after this? I mean, after this, like, how do you think the world's going to change be different? Kind of thing. Um, I don't, the yeah, it's a good question. It's an intriguing one. By my hesitation, you can tell I, I don't. My short answer: I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The, I mean, there's there's the piece to like everyday living, and there's the piece to like I think people have during this time. I'll speak more from my experience. Like I've I've had more family time than really I've ever had since you know being yeah. married, and that's been a great thing. So it I think it it forces you to look at your life, look at where you put your time and energy, and and say yes to the things that are a heck yes. And this makes a lot of sense. And if it's not a heck yes, then it's a it's a no. Um, and, but that's, that's just service. I mean, I don't, I think we'll find out like, and then truly will yeah. it, will it return to normal? And in America, um, unless you've been living under a rock with all this downtime, our attention has been pushed towards, you know, other things. And we've had social justice and we're now in a political season. And so, um, you know, those, those can, there can be some really good things that come out of that potentially. And yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? 
Where do you think we're headed? I'll tell you, I, I get three sentences all the time from various people all over the country. It doesn't matter if they vote Republican, Democrat, Communist, Giant Space Rock, but I get three sentences. Uh, how the hell did this happen? Uh, I only thought this was, I thought this was going to be like Ebola and like 10 people were going to die and that was going to be it. And then somebody else, and then they'll say like, um, something along the lines of, Uh, the third sentence gets a little more nebulous, but those first two I hear all the time. I think people are gonna, I think the rat race is gonna pause for a while. I really do. I think, honestly, I think the rat race is gonna pause, but I wonder if restaurants are gonna survive. Like the, the sitting down, eating inside restaurants, I wonder if that's gonna survive. And earlier you were talking about the gym, um, Turns out gyms are like one of the most dangerous places you can go right now. Actually, so yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know the restaurant business is a tough business, anyways. There's a lot, more restaurants I think fail than actually succeed. So right, right. It's, it's an interesting industry, but yeah, but yeah. Um, well, I want to tell you some stuff off air, but I want, uh, do you want to tell the internet anything? Do I want to what? I'm sorry? <laughs> do you want to say anything into the internet? <laughs> oh. About yeah. COVID? Just about anything. Uh, I don't, I don't think I have a whole lot else to, um, unless you have questions for me, I think. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, think I have, I, I have questions for you. Like, um, so, um, like, have you, do you plan on doing a lot more outdoorsy basketball type stuff or versus say indoorsy basketball type stuff? Well, naturally, yeah, right now we, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So we don't have access to gyms that we typically would um a lot of facilities are, are closed right now so naturally outdoor is sometimes our only option um when we first started that's all we did um as things have progressed over the you know when we first started back doing some stuff in maybe late may um it was all outdoors and then we gradually went inside and but we've still done outdoors, so um yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean here's my take on on COVID and I say this with and understand that, that I have ignorance in, in areas and I think we all have ignorance and anybody that says they know anybody that says they have all the answers and they know everything, that's where there's some red flags for me. Um, because I think we're still learning and that's life, right? So where, where I stand on it, and I can probably say in 30 seconds or less is like, I, to the most, to the best ability, I want to live life and I want to, I want to be smart and I don't want to put anybody in danger, but I also am not going to be handy. I don't want to be handicapped, um, and live in fear. Um, and so 
you know, there are viruses, and there, this isn't the first, this isn't the last, that will come into our everyday living. And so, you know, our, our family is, is living and has been living a, a fairly normal life as much as you can during a pandemic. And um, we've adjusted the protocols and things in school and all that and, and work. So, but we're we're not going to we're not locking down and locking our doors and staying inside. And I don't, I don't have any judgment or expectations of others that choose to do that. Um, and there's a fine balance of, well, how much is government involved? How much should they be involved? What kind of protocols and rules and laws or restrictions can they put in place? And that, that's, you know, that gets real political really quick. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. So that, Am I am I summarizing? You know, we could spider web this thing out, Ben, like really quick and go for yeah. hours, right? Yeah. Um, well, you're. But the thing I the thing I see, like the thing people say sometimes, is like this is like the 1918 flu pandemic. Well, okay, mm-hmm. but here's the thing: the the government said in the 50s there was a government uh, study that came back that said that actually uh, the Spanish flu was around the Midwest in the 1900, in 1900. So, you know, what if we just got really good at detecting a virus? And that's my, that's my question. Like, what if we're not in the 1918 part of the Spanish flu? What if we're in the 1900 part? And also, I think you're right. While you have to be smart and safe and, you know, keep your head on a swivel, you can't live in fear. Now, having said that, you know, am I going to get really drunk and go driving a car tomorrow? Uh, probably not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's... <laughs> and that, that's my thing, too, on the COVID thing is, like, um, look, we go to grocery store or in school or any proximity, you know, wearing a mask and, and taking the precautions, um, you know, or, you know, like if, my my parents are older and my dad is not in great health like as is and so he's a high risk person like if he gets it it's not going to go well um he'd be he'd right. be high risk you know or at least research or, or data would tell us right now like he he could be a fatality right and so he takes extra precaution and so if we had people in our house right now we wouldn't be wearing masks now if my parents come over we would put on a mask you know so it's just like or if we were somewhere and people requested that we would do that and so i don't know there, there's a balance and everybody there, there's freedom of choice here in, in america thankfully um yeah you know but you also have to look after it's not about you and um and i'm, I'm probably more of a, a, a centrist on on this, uh, you know, some people way go way less, some people go right, way right, and I don't know, I think people get really passionate about how they feel, and I'm passionate about it, but I'm also, go ahead. I started out thinking um, we could, like, wait this thing out, but the more I read about it, the more I look into it, the more I'm kind of thinking like you, where, you know, be smart, if you're somebody that that you know 
could be affected by this adversely, it might be, if you can, it might be a good idea to order in your groceries and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, um, you know, basically be smart pretty much and hopefully there's a vaccine that comes around. Um, yeah, kind of that's serious. well said. Yeah. But hey, um, you've been a big sport and I want to say some stuff off the internet to you. So just give me okay. a second. I'm going to unhook the recording. 